Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. All right. Good morning. How's everybody feeling? Good. Thank you for worshiping this morning. Uh, If you're a guest with us, uh, we really believe that church is a whole lot more than just what happens here. But we are families of missional disciples, and uh, we're called to multiply locally and globally. And so um, if you're here, we really are asking big questions about what it means to be carriers of the name of Jesus, to be people who are so affected and impacted by him that everywhere we go, he goes with us. Amen? And everywhere Jesus goes, all throughout the scriptures, cities are changed and transformed Bodies that were broken are healed and set free and delivered from demons, and the kingdom of God comes. And so the picture of us being carriers of that name ought to look strikingly similar. That wherever you go, things change because of Jesus. And so uh, we just want to welcome you here. If you're a guest with us today, thank you for being here. Um, If you feel like, man, this is a place where I want to get connected further, uh, grab one of those connect cards in the backs of the seat and just leave us some information so we can reach out to you. Um, grab a coffee, grab a meal, sit down with you and get to know a little bit about your story. Sound good? All right. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to talk today about being carriers of joy. As you turn, I want to invite you to go ahead and stand to your feet and we're going to read together. I'm going to read and you can just read along as I read it out. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. All right. If you're there, say amen. Amen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Let me keep reading. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. You may be seated. Amen. Good news of great joy for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. What kind of news? Good news. Of what kind of joy? Great joy. For who? For all people. You know, we're celebrating this coming week, the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And, and I think that it's important for us to wrestle 
with the nature of this good news that is proclaimed through the person of Jesus. Because we stand 2,000 years on the other side of this announcement from the angels who, like, if you're like me and you grew up reading this text on Christmas or when you're moving through your annual Bible reading plan or however you come by it, we're so accustomed to the nature of it, I just read, an angel shows up and he is huge and terrifying and says, do not be afraid. And we just kind of take it like it's just normal, right? If we were here this morning and an angel just appeared right here in front of us, and was so big and terrifying, full of the light and the glory of God, everyone would freak out. People would leave our church and be like, they're hosting presences over there. And I would be very nervous to speak. We'd all be on our faces. Someone probably would wet their pants. Like, It's a very real moment. And yet we kind of read over this like it's nothing on a Sunday morning because this is what we do in the Bible Belt. We just read the Bible like it's just normal. This is not normal. Right? Are you with me? If you've read this story for the first time, if you go home today and, a, and an angel shows up, you're going to freak out. And he simply says, do not be afraid. I'm bringing you a different kind of news than you anticipate. This is good news that is filled with great joy, and it's for everyone everywhere. And the promise of this announcement is not just that we're going to get this message of joy, but there is a messenger of joy, that there is the person of Jesus who comes as the fulfillment and the fullness of joy in every way. It is good news of great joy for everyone. Friends, Jesus is the good news. He doesn't come just to declare the good news. He doesn't come just to give you a nice word about how your day is going to go or polish up whatever you thought your life looked like. Jesus is the good news. He is the gospel. Salvation and forgiveness of sins and healing of broken bodies and restoration of devastated souls and recreation of the world, freedom for captives, sight for the blind, resurrection of the dead. Jesus. It comes in a person. The joy that we have is delivered through one single man. And this is good news full of great joy. I love that, like, if you do, like, word studies on this, when he talks about great joy, it's mega joy. It's like mega joy. This is big joy. This isn't little joy. It's not like momentary happiness or something that's just good in your day. It's the kind of joy that consumes everything. It's joy that invades your job and your family and your neighborhood and our government and nations. Amen? And it all comes through him. And finally, it is for everyone. It's for everyone. The reason that this is such good news and great joy is that there is no one left out of the invitation to receive it. Every single person that you know, every person with every story that you've ever encountered has been invited to experience the good news and the joy of Jesus. The neighbor who lives next door to you whose dog poops on your lawn every day. For all people, right? Like we say it, do we mean it? The prostitute on Victory Drive this morning. Jesus came with good news of great joy for her and for him. The corrupt politician in D.C. The good news of great joy came for him or for her today walking the corridors of the White House um, or making decisions as a senator or a congressperson. The estranged family member that you're not talking to. The good news of great joy came for them, even Alabama fans. God even came for them. Am I right? Low blow. I know. I know. You'll be okay, Daniel. It's fine. 
See, the, the problem is that even with this great announcement, that we still face the everyday reality of pain and hardship. Isn't that it? Because the story continues. We don't see the shepherds after this moment, but they had to go back to work the next day. And their family members got sick, and they ended up going to the grave themselves. You know, one of the, the hardest things that we have to face, one of the most bewildering experiences in the life of believers, is that we are given this declaration of the joy that only comes through Jesus, and then we also are enduring pain at the same time. We're also enduring hard things, even with this eternal gift in our hands. I, I find this with new believers often, that there is a moment of struggle because we think that following Jesus means that hard things stop. Have any of you felt like that? Like you came to Christ and you're like, yes, finally, finally. They're not going to tax me anymore. Nobody's going to yell at me in the street, right? My computer's always going to work flawlessly. Why? Because I've given my life to the Lord, so nothing is going to go wrong again. My hot water heater is just going to last for 50,000 years. And then it blows on a Sunday morning right before church, and you think, God, why have you forsaken me? And your car gets hit when you just washed it, and you're thinking, you hate me. Why do you hate me? Right? Are you with me? Real life. We're given this eternal gift of joy in the person of Jesus, and then we still endure the daily slog of hardship and pain and even despair if we give ourselves over to it. And this is the gift. Jesus actually kind of promises us the opposite of what we think. He actually says that you're going to be given unspeakable joy in the midst of suffering and persecution. What an interesting promise. <laughs> more joy than you can handle and more hardship than you can handle alone. More joy than you can hold on to. It's going to spill out and spill over. It's going to dump out everywhere you go. But you are going to face opposition and you're going to have to endure some really hard things. It's like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that we have this treasure, this good news of great joy, right? That's the treasure we hold in jars of clay. Pain and suffering. It's temporal and fragile. I've got this gift of life and joy that comes in Jesus, but I'm holding it in this thing that is still getting sick on days, and some days it is still upset or weary or tired, and one day this body's going to stop working. So I'm holding this eternal thing, but I'm holding it in a temporary shell. And this is actually really good news for us. And I'll tell you why this morning. Maybe this morning you're actually going through a difficult season because you're feeling the pinch of all of that fragility and temporariness of that pain and that suffering. And I want to ask you, and what I want us to wrestle with this morning is, what does it look like for us to cultivate the treasure of great joy that's been promised to us in Christ in the midst of suffering. What does it look like? Do I have to wait till I get on the other end in order to find this joy? Do, do I need to park the car, Sandy, until everything works out, until every situation um, is fixed perfectly, until every relationship comes together without any kind of conflict? Absolutely not. And so this morning, that is exactly what I want to talk about. You know, there's almost nothing as contagious as joy. Nothing. It has the capacity to fill a room and swell a heart. I don't know if you've, I, I was like watching YouTube videos of people laughing and then that laughter spreading through rooms of people, you know. There's some really funny ones of people on trains that are just dying laughing and then it spreads like wildfire over the whole train. Um, or if you've been in an, uh, a service or a gathering where the, the joy of the Lord 
kind of comes and rests and people begin to laugh and then it spreads like wildfire. And you're like, I don't know what's funny. And then you're laughing. And you're just thinking, I don't really know what's happened here, but joy seems to just engulf the room. It, start, it swells our hearts. Studies actually show that it physically helps you to fight off stress, that it causes your circulatory and digestive systems to work better. Did you know that? Interesting. Some of you are like, man, I'm just really struggling with my stomach. That's, you know, been my problem my entire life. What, you need a, like a large dose of joy. I, I think of specific people when I think about joy. I think about my wife. My wife is naturally one of the most joyful people that I know. I'm the opposite end of that, okay? And the Lord loves me too, okay? So, but Chrissy just goes in and she's just naturally joyful and lighthearted. She's just at home in her own skin and makes other people feel the same way. Uh, Daniel Miller, he's a, joy, he's a little joy bug too. Everywhere he goes, like, he's just going to paint the thing, the most beautiful color. It could be the worst day. And he's like, man, isn't it glorious? And if y'all haven't watched the video of him after he got his teeth pulled uh, and he's just like gushing about Jesus online, it's just the best. Why? Because he's full of joy. Joy is contagious. Proverbs 17, says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Oof. Listen to that. A joyful heart is good Medicine, Man, we have been given the antidote to consuming sadness and despair through Jesus. You have been given an arsenal that is way bigger than the sadness and the hardship that you're facing on any given Monday or Tuesday. We've been given the antidote to this consuming despair. We've been given joy. And Isaiah says something astounding. He says that our joy is attached to a person. A person who turns the tide on despair and kindles the fires of hope and joy. It's not just an emotion. It is the abiding response of being with Jesus. Joy is the abiding response of being with Jesus. Joy is the abiding response of being with Jesus. So if we're lacking joy, if I find myself leaning into duty and responsibility, but getting like edgy and mean, you know what you need? Man, you need to be with Jesus. There is such a difference. In the New Testament, when, the, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, the apostles were traveling through the town, and it says that people would bump into them and say, surely these folks have been with Jesus. It wasn't because they were scholars. It wasn't because they looked like they had it all going on. It was because of the impact of the Spirit and what it had done in their lives that they could encounter someone on the streets and say, that's one of those guys that's been with Jesus. I have a feeling that they encountered joy. Unflappable, unshakable joy in the midst of persecution and suffering, hiding away from the Romans, hiding from the leaders of Israel, joy. And what you and I need most in those moments is the joy kindler. We need the one who ignites the flame of joy in our hearts every time we're close to him. So I want to be a person of joy. How many of you? I want to be known as a person of joy. I want to be around people of joy. I don't like to be around people who just talk negatively all the time. Have you done that lately? Just make you feel gross. You feel like you need to go home and shower off. Like, I just, it feels gross. I've been around this negativity all day. I want our church to be defined by joy. You know, one of the things that I've recognized about us as a church is we tend to be kind of somber, a lot of us. Anybody? I don't know how many melancholies we have in the room. <laughs> like, we've got an extra dose of melancholy in our church family. Um, 
Can I just encourage you that this ought to be the most joyful place on earth, right? I want our compassion and the way that we love our neighbors to spill over with joy because of what he's done in us. Because joy is powerful. It's powerful. Joy is the atmosphere of heaven. Psalm 1611 says that in God's presence there is fullness of joy. Think about that. In the moments where we were worshiping this morning, and we're waiting on the Lord, and we know that we have stepped into his presence. That abounding sense is not just love and peace, but it's also joy. That no matter what hardship I brought in on my back, like a truck on my shoulder, Marty, I can still walk in joy, right? Nehemiah 8.10 says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Listen to that. In God's presence, there's fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So when we choose to anchor our lives to the good news about Jesus, we're living in the presence and the strength of God. And the Bible says I can equate that to joy. Whenever I'm with him, I have access to joy. Whenever I'm operating in his strength, even if I'm I'm working on my own weakness, I get access to his joy. But maybe the only thing as contagious as joy is despair. And in the same way that anchoring our lives in Christ breeds joy, anchoring our lives in disappointment and disillusionment breeds despair. Now, I'm preaching a little bit to myself today. I'm a little hardwired to see what's wrong. I don't know if that resonates with any of you. I can walk into any room and tell you what's out of place. It's a, it's a deep thing, deep work of the Spirit, okay? <laughs> He's working on me. I'm in process. And part of that can be beautiful. For many of you, I know you share the same kind of wiring. You walk in and immediately you notice what's not there. Can I just encourage you um, that when we live with our eyes set on that, anchored to disappointment or um, uh, unmet expectations, that we can actually breed a lifestyle of despair. It's terrible. If you've been there, you're walking around fighting in your own mind every second of the day. How do I just cultivate this life of joy? You know, despair is this dime-sized filter to view the world through. It's like if you went out every single day and you just did this and you held it up to your eye and you could only make decisions on the basis of what you saw through that little dime-sized hole. Despair is the result of just kind of ruminating on and focusing on where you've been failed and what's gone wrong and how things have not worked out so that I'm actually incapable of seeing the good. You're like, my life is robbed of joy. I don't know how. It's possible. It's possible that you're living with a dime-sized perspective on how the world works and on what God is up to and on the good things that he's produced. It's possible that I have focused my time and energy and affection on how that person wronged me, and I can't live outside of it. I'm just orbiting around pain. Are you with me? And regardless of what story you bring in, I think every single one of us, even the joy bugs in the room, I think even they struggle and are tempted by the ability to to fine-tune a focus simply on the negative and to get lost on the joy that God wants to make um, possible for us. Here's a little social test. When you get to the end of your day, what are you more prone to recall? The positive or the negative? Don't be bashful. Come along with me. 
What, what, what are you thinking about at the end of the day? You come home, what's the first thing out of your mouth to your spouse or to your friend? Man, well, you will not believe what happened to me today. She did it again. My God. He's, he's, he is coming close. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him, right? The other day, <laughs> I, I, this is real time for me, okay, folks? Um, I was running around. I had to go buy Nora a birthday gift. And so I'm at Target. Had a great day meeting with people, just talking and just sharing what the Lord was doing in them. I get to like 5.30, and I realize that I had left my dog at the vet, and I was supposed to pick him up. And it was closing, okay? And I don't know what it is lately. I just feel like we burn money, you know what I mean, on like the dog. He got hit by a car a few months ago. So we're just like burning money on dog stuff right now. Thank you. It, 5.30 hits, and I look down at my phone, and I realize I'm supposed to pick that dog up. And they won't answer the phone, which means I've got to pay 30 bucks for a boarding fee. Okay. It's $30. I get it. That's, that's, that's more money than I want to spend on something that I don't need. Right? And that's how I'm wired. And I literally, guys, I'm in the car, you know, very spiritual. I hit the dash. I was like, dadgummit! Stinking dog. Like Jasper did anything wrong. I was so ticked off. Brandon, it took me hours to get it together. I went home. I was like, Chrissy, you would not believe this. I was texting her. I, was, I had a great day. I actually had to come back and be like, I had a great day. I don't know why this is bothering me like it is. I'll tell you why it's bothering me like it is. Because of this. Because <laughs> I just took that dime-sized filter of disappointment and disillusionment and despair. And I was like, Ugh, that one thing, that defines everything for me. And I wonder how many of us are living off a steady diet of disillusionment and disappointment and despair. Dime-sized filter that I jam in front of my face and go, I don't know why I can't be joyful. I got an idea. <laughs> it might be that little dime-sized filter of despair that you're looking at everything through. This is where they didn't show up. This is when somebody kind of lost sight of me. This is when somebody disappointed me. And all along, there is an entire world of joy being flooded by God. Things that he is doing, places where he is moving, stuff he is up to in your life. And you go, yeah, but there's that one thing. Okay. See, the good news for those of us who are in these covenant relationships with God is that joy isn't dependent on our situation. It's not dependent on the one thing going away. I get to live in it regardless of places where I've been disappointed or where people have failed me. It's not devoid of pain. Joy doesn't come just when everything else works out. Joy is the infinite invitation to those of us who belong to Jesus. He invites us every single day to live in joy because we're alive in Him. It's not because everything went well, Casey. It's because I'm with Him. And when I'm with Jesus, I get access to all of the atmosphere and the environment of heaven. I get access to everything that the Holy Spirit affords me. And the, the spirit is love and joy, right? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I get access. I get access to lean in there, to experience it from him, and to embody it myself. We have an invitation. And what that tells me is that I have to choose it. What it tells me is that for you and I on any given day, I have the choice to hunker down on my disappointment and disillusionment and to focus on what didn't go well, or I can anchor myself in Jesus and in who he is. I have a choice. 
And when I anchor my life in Christ, the result is this persistent, circumstance-defying joy. Amen? And whether or not you know it, you were desperate for that. You know, I was in a hospital several years back. I was working at Evangel Temple in town. And um, I was sitting with a little lady who was, uh, she was probably in her late 70s, early 80s, and she was really ill. And I went in and I said, hey, how are you this morning? And she said, um, she said, I'm okay. And I was really surprised. I mean, she was very sick. Like, I thought, she's not coming out of this hospital. She said, I'm okay. And I said, well, tell me about that, because I heard you're going through this. You're struggling with this, this infection right now. And she said, I'll be honest with you. She said, the other day, I gave myself 24 hours um, of pity. She said, I just sat around for 24 hours and just pitied myself. And she said, I was so miserable. She said, I vowed I would never do that again. <laughs> and I was like, you are awesome. <laughs> she said, I just felt terrible. She said, I thought it would be nice to just give myself some pity. Woe is me. I'm so sick. I'm here. I can't believe it. I haven't had that many guests. She said, I will never do that again. She said, I belong to Jesus. She said, I'm not, I'm not going to live in pity and shame like that. It was unbelievable to see the way that she made decisions that transformed her disposition in the hospital. So how do we do the same? How do we learn to choose joy when we have a choice? How do I learn every single day to step towards this good news of great joy for everyone instead of anchoring myself in that dime-sized despair? Uh, number one, we remember God's past faithfulness. You know, here's the, the reality. We can't live in despair and joy at the same time. Like one muscles the other out. You're either going to do one or you're going to do the other. You're like, yeah, but I kind of want to feel bad for myself. Go ahead. Go ahead. But it, it's going to take up space, and you only have so much. Right? We can't live in both at the same time. And when we practice recalling and remembering and rehearsing what God has done in us, we train ourselves to live in joy and push despair out of the equation as the dominating force of our lives. Hear me. If you are 40 and under in this room this morning, open your eyes and lock in on me. This is so necessary for us because our culture has made it the norm to just turn the volume up on where everyone has failed you and what's going wrong and to re-identify your life on that as the dominating force. It is killing us. Please hear me. It is killing our generation. It is devouring us. We are the most negative generation known to man. And we're building our identity on it. And we're building a culture on it. And we're building our vernacular on it. And it is destroying us. Your truth, our reality, should not be consumed by the dime-sized filter that we're looking through. Because God's at work. We can't do these things simultaneously. I just want to say this last line again. When we practice recalling and rehearsing the acts of God, we train ourselves to live in joy and push despair out of the equation as the dominating force in our lives. Some of you need a new dominating force. You need a louder voice than what went wrong. You need a louder voice than where someone failed you. You need a louder voice than the place where you don't feel like God answered. Where did he answer? What did he do? Where are we anchored? Friends, remembering what God has done is holy work. It's necessary work to actively remember what God's work is in your life so that when storms come, they don't crush you, right? Now hear me. I am not talking about Jesus juking hard things. 
You guys hear what I'm saying? Sometimes, like one of the things that we can struggle with at times in Christianity is to put on this kind of triumphalism that doesn't recognize hardship. We just say, no, 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 I'm not sick. You know, like sometimes in kind of word of faith movement, sometimes we can just act like if, if I just pretend it's not there, then I don't have to deal with it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Jesus juking hard things. I'm talking about the kind of relationship where we are living in spiritual and emotional maturity that can recognize the hard things we go through without allowing it to determine us. Are you with me? You can go through tremendous hardship. You can go through sickness and betrayal. You can go through moments of despair and say, but I've made my mind up. I'm not living that way. I had an interesting conversation with Casey over here before we went on our trip uh, to Albania. He texted me one day, and he had some bad stuff going on at work. I mean, he was just getting hammered, I think would be a nice way to condense that. And he said, you know, pity is a waste of time (laughs) or something like that. He said, self-pity is a waste of time. And he said, I also think it's sinful. And I I really just kind of sat back because he was saying something in a a Casey way that I had to sit with and chew. Um, And I walked away and went, man, I think he's on to something. Because he wasn't saying nothing bad's happening. He was like, no, no, no. Everything's hitting the fan that can hit the fan. However, I'm okay. God's on the throne. And I know he's going to take care of me. What does it look like for us to cultivate the kind of spiritual and emotional maturity that can hold both? What does it look like for us to be the kind of people that can look hardship in the face and say, that's hard. He's better. That's hard. It's not going to define me, though. That's not going to re-identify who I am in Christ. It's not going to re-identify how I operate in the world or the decisions that I make. I'm anchoring myself in the, the eternal reality of who Christ is and who he has said I am. And today I'm facing a rough thing. How, how do we hold both? One of the things that I have found is a generational split. And I, I love in our church that we're seeing kind of more population on both ends of that spectrum. Um, and I don't know exactly where it is, but... In my dad's generation, a lot of times we just claimed the eternal reality, but we kind of like shut down anything bad that was happening. We just kind of pretended it wasn't going on. It's just, hey, just keep your eyes on this. Just keep moving. Well, keep moving is great, but we also have to deal with the thing. And in my generation, we just get consumed by the thing and we forget about the eternal reality. So, so this place where God is connecting our generations is to recognize that God is faithful and true and present. He has never left us. I have a new identity in Christ. I don't have to live the same old way. And some crappy stuff happens. And i got to figure out how to deal with that emotionally, internally, understanding that God is faithful and trustworthy. And I have also been given this, this kind of new creation title. And that's really good news. And if I can just pull the generational gap together, that may be a place where there's some miscommunication. Moms, dads, grandmas, granddads, that's a deep place of like, that's a rift in the body right now. And they're saying, I don't understand how you, because you want to talk about the pain and what's broken and how we didn't. There's a gap. And so just know that both sides are good. But we have to have both. And this one wins out. My identity and who I am in Jesus. Are you with me? Because people are going to wrong you and, and things are going to go south and betrayal moments are coming and I can't let that reality carry more weight than the reality of who he says I am and what he's called me to do. Both exist, but they're not both the same weight. Are you with me? Okay. And they're both real. 
And so we have to like lean in. And I don't know why I'm focusing on that. That is not here, okay? So just hear me. I feel like the Lord wants us to connect the dots there. Um, and I think that it's important. If you read the book of Psalms, that's what you find. That's why it's so difficult sometimes to read it. Have you ever tried to pray the Psalms? And he's like, God, kill them. Rip them in half, these sorry, no good people. Pop their teeth out, drain their blood, smash their babies. I'm like, what is happening? Pray that? (laughs) And then I realized there's some days where I have such deep contempt in me. And he says, bring that to me. And then trust me to produce the life of God through you toward those people. Oof. (laughs) So maybe there's a deep invitation to pray honestly and to trust that God is putting the life of the spirit in you to walk it out with people in a way that looks like Jesus that is gracious and merciful and long-suffering all right everybody with me still okay you know the apostle Paul writes to his friends in Philippians 4 11, he says I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances right good circumstances bad circumstances I've learned to be content I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is one of the most poorly quoted passages in the Bible by the church. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, quoted by NFL players on Sunday. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, said the guy who just won the lottery, right? Are you with me? I can do all of it. But here, Paul is actually saying that the secret of contentment is that I can do everything, good, bad, happy, sad, hard, easy, through him who gives me strength, right? And we just learned that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if God's joy is strength, and I can do all things through God because he gives me strength, I can assume that I can also do all things with joy. Everything. I can do everything. I can clean toilets with joy. I can serve my wife with joy. I can do laundry with joy. Um, I can have challenging conversations at work with joy. Are you with me? Why? Because, because his presence, his strength, and joy are infinitely connected. Now, now here's some contextual calibration. And, and Paul also says rejoice always. Right? Have you ever read that and just been like, what is he talking about? Like, if he had the day that I had, he wouldn't say that. Where is Paul writing this from? Prison. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Context is everything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Prison. Prison. So so what is the circumstance that we're saying it's impossible for me to live in joy? He's in prison. Right? He's on house arrest leading up to his execution. He's in prison. And he's saying, I can do it all. And I can do it with joy. Eugene Peterson writes, joy has a history. Joy is the verified, repeated experience of those involved in what God is doing. Joy has a history. It is the verified, repeated experience of those involved in what God is doing. Paul can say something wild like rejoice always and I can do all things through him who gives me strength because he sees God's hand at work. He's with him. He can do it because he's not doing it alone. It's not him striving for God's affection uh, separated from him. He's walking with the Father. And I think that this is what we should call gratitude. I can rejoice in all moments. I can live in gratitude because I see where God is at work. 
I'm not focusing on the dime-sized filter. I'm taking in the array of everything that God has done. It's gratitude. Living in gratitude changes the way that we see things. And gratitude is just simply verbalizing the places where God has been and is at work. I love that. I'm still finding in myself that sometimes when I'm asked a question, I can highlight a negative first. I hate that. I'm, I'm hearing it more as a 40-year-old. I'm realizing how sown it is, it, it, it is into the fabric of my conversation. And um, I recognize in the same way when God's grace has been with people and when you ask them what's going on and they always go to where he's at work. Man, we had dinner with Daniel and Tori like three or four months ago. Um, and he was talking about a conversation with a friend that hadn't gone well. And when I asked him about it, he only talked with grace about it. I actually left. Uh, Christy, I don't know if you remember. I, I left and I said, I was really impacted with how Daniel responded to questions about a hard conversation. Like, he only had good things. And I thought, ooh, okay, thank you, Lord. Like, I, I need to grow. Anybody? Because I still find in myself, like, I can, I can just hit that edge. And it's a place where the Lord is inviting me in to grow me, to let his grace be lavished on me, to be filled with gratitude because I'm watching where his hand is at work more than where other people have done wrong. Yeah? Gratitude is just verbalizing where God has been at work. Because when we call to mind the good stuff, it causes us to see God. But when we're quick to call the bad stuff to mind, man, it breeds dejection. Listen to what John Michael Talbot writes about this. Uh, this is on the, the life of St. Francis of Assisi. He says, Dejection is an affliction that, while not always fatal, can generate an abiding rust in the heart. Man, what a good phrase. It can generate an abiding rust in the heart. Francis would have nothing to do with dejection or depression or uh, disappointment. He condemned it as a poisonous ailment. And in the rule that he wrote for his friars, he warned them against sliding into sadness. He realized that dejection and depression can easily harden into a skeptical and cynical outlook on all of life. And such an outlook serves as a perverse kind of diabolical filter blocking out the warm rays of God's healing love. Dang. You hear that? So this morning, do you feel the hardening of a skeptical cynical outlook that wakes up and finds the downside of any situation. Well, it's, good. it's about to go south. Things are going well at work, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right? That's how we say in the south, like I'm kind of just living ready for things to go bad. Yeah. Do you feel like the warm rays of God's love are on your face or are they blocked out? Try gratitude. Try gratitude. Try looking at where God is at work. Don't define your life and circumstance based strictly on what's not happening. Look at what is happening because God is faithful. You know, dejection and depression want to cut us off from remembering God's character and how he's performed in the past. Uh, and one of the ways that we battle this is just to actively remember. Remember. You know, we're standing in a season of the year that is so beautifully set up to look back and remember. And can I encourage you, as you do that in this next two weeks as we finish off the year, that you don't look for all the disappointments. They'll emerge on their own. <laughs> you don't need to search. 
But maybe, just maybe, you will train your eyes to find the finger of God all through your story this year. You know, I, um, I don't like going to the eye doctor. Sorry, Eddie. Um, I, and the reason is they, they blow that puff of air directly into my eyeball every time. And it's, I know it's coming, and I hate it. I hate it every time. But one of the things that is cool is when they put these little dials over your face, and they're flicking these dials, they're saying, hey, when is the picture clearer? Is it with this one or this one? Number one, number two, A, B, right? And you go through, and I'm, I feel very pressured in those moments. I'm like, I'm going to make a mistake, and then I'm going to be blind for the next 20 years <laughs> on the basis because I'm a perfect, okay, I got it. Those, those were not made for type A people, Eddie. Um, polygraph me. Like, don't, you know, I don't, I don't need to answer the questions. Um, I think for some of us, we're coming into the end of the year, um, and it's a good time to flick the dials and to say, hey, is this clearer or is this? Which one shows you God's face? Which one shows you hurt and despair? Take that one off. Put on the new filter. Where's God been at work? Where's he at work in your family? Where is he at work in your finances, in your life? Where is he at work all over the place? Because it's very easy to just hunker down on what's going wrong and to never see what God is doing in your life. Amen? So we look back at his, his, um, his faithfulness in the past. Secondly, uh, we anticipate God's future faithfulness. I can remember where he's been faithful back there, but here's the beautiful thing about Advent. It just means anticipation. I get to look forward to the day when he will come and make all things right. Eugene Peterson writes this, Joy is nurtured anticipation. If the joy-producing acts of God are characteristic of our past as God's people, they will also be characteristic of our future as his people. There is no reason to suppose that God will arbitrarily change his way of working with us. What we have known of him, we will know of him. Just as joy builds on the past, it borrows from the future. It expects certain things to happen. Joy is nurtured by anticipation. Think about that. There is this invitation right now in this season to look forward and to say, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what he's up to. I can't wait to see what he does in our city and in our church and our nation. I can't wait to see what happens when Jesus cracks the sky open and returns for his people. I can't wait. As God's people, we are called to practice anticipation as resistance to despair. Some of you are in really hard circumstances. I mean, it's just the honest truth. One of the best ways for you to battle against despair and depression is to anticipate God's arrival into the situation. It's one of the best things that you and I can do is practice anticipation as an act of resistance. It's where I train my heart and my mind on the goodness of God. I recite his past deeds. I declare his future blessings. We can look back 2,000 years at his coming, but I can also be anchored in the hope for the future. Right? Because who he was and what he did in the past, he will do in the future. Amen? He is the same God. Anticipation is an act of trust. It says, on the basis of his past work and his present character, I can trust what he'll do in the future. And for some of you right now, you feel like, man, I know God worked in the past. I'm just not quite sure what he's going to do in the future. And it makes me feel depressed. Right? I got so much uncertainty, I'm not sure. The invitation of joy, good news of great joy, is that I can anchor myself in confidence that the God who acted on my behalf in the past 
will act on my behalf in the future. Amen? That I can live in rooted joy. And I just believe some of you are here today, and you kind of feel like to be joyful right now would be inauthentic. Like you're thinking, that is just me playing games and acting, to be joyful. You feel like it's just painting on a good church face. And I just want to give you a different picture this morning. Is that okay? To live in joy in the face of adversity is the greatest declaration of faith that there is. It is the greatest declaration of resistance and faith that there is. To live in resistance against despair by by building our lives on the promises of God that aren't yet fulfilled, that's called faith. That's not fake. That's not fake. That's not empty. That doesn't lack anything. That is robust and stout faith. Just read Hebrews 11 when you go home today. It says they they received the promises of God, but they didn't see them in their own day. They knew that they were longing for a city whose foundations were in God. They weren't just earthly. They recognized that everything God had spoken, he wanted to fulfill with all of us together. We, we, We have to understand that at times when we are living by faith, which is the prevailing pattern of Christ followers, by the way, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If I don't lean in and live in joy in the face of adversity, I will be swallowed up by adversity. Are you with me? And some of you today are being swallowed whole, and you think living in joy is a lie. And I just want to tell you, it's not. It's not. That this good news of great joy comes to us in the midst of hardship and despair, and we have access and an invitation to live there regardless of what today looks like. Are you with me? It is active resistance. And for some of you, you haven't felt permission to fight back with joy, and you have permission. The gospel of Jesus is declared with great joy. So you have permission to be a person of joy in the midst of even the craziest scenarios. Um, about 15, 16 years ago, I went to Swaziland, um, Africa. It's now Eswatini. They, um, we went to this orphanage where 100% of the kids on the orphanage, their parents had either died of AIDS or the kids themselves had AIDS. Um, it was a cultural pandemic. It was one of this, it was this, um, these cultural practices that were leading to this issue. And I saw hundreds and hundreds of kids who either were dying of AIDS or their parents have died of AIDS. And it was the most joyful place I'd ever been. It messed me up. Um, Brandon talks the same of South Africa. Because when you set eyes on people who are in despairing situations but walk in consuming joy, like the joy of Jesus, it messes you up because you realize how much despair and disappointment you've just kind of carried around as though that's your normal. Can I encourage you um, to throw off that trash as a way of seeing life and identifying who you are and what you're called to? We are called to be a people of joy. And we have been given this great invitation. Eugene Peterson, and then I close. He says, all suffering, all pain, all emptiness, all disappointment is seed. Sow it in God, and he will finally bring a crop of joy from it. Give it to God. Sow it to God. Leave it at God's feet. And you have permission to live in incredible joy. As we close today, I just want to do this. Can I ask you? We've got two minutes. Um, that I want to be done in two minutes. I want to ask you to wrestle with these three questions. Firstly, am I living in joy? Am I living in the joy that's provided by Jesus who is king? 
Secondly, am I allowing despair or disappointment to determine who I am and how I live? And if I am, what are those areas of disappointment? Right? I, I can't put at the feet of Jesus what I don't recognize for myself. So do the work of asking, where, what disappointments am I just kind of like carrying around that are weighing my heart down? And thirdly, how do I practice gratitude? What do I have to be grateful for this year? I promise you, if you do this exercise right, number three should take you the most time. Number two should take you just a couple minutes. And number one will be one that you'll chew on for the next 20 years. <laughs> okay? Will you write those down? If you're taking notes, take a picture of it. I want you to wrestle with this. Am I living in joy? What am I despairing or disappointed in? And what do I have to be grateful for this year? Let's be a community that trains ourselves in gratitude. Amen? Will you stand to your feet? Thank you for your patience today. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Let me say a word of prayer over you. If you have prayer needs, we're going to hang out after. I'd be happy to pray with you. Just really quickly, two things before we close. Uh, community leaders, we are going to have lunch right after this. So if you're leading communities, make sure you come along with us. Um, and lastly, remember that starting in January, our gathering times move to 10 o'clock. Yes, everybody with me? Gathering time moves to 10 a.m., all right? If you have questions, feel free. Um, and last but not least, as you leave today, we're going to take up a special offering for a couple missional things. We want to give to meet some big needs in our church community. If you have specific questions about what those are, um, some is working with a widow, another with a single guy who has some tremendous needs. Um, we have several things like that. And so we want to give and give big at the end of the year. We just want to be really generous and sow into these families. So if you'd like to give toward those and you have questions about this, the specifics, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Um, feel free to come and ask me. But Roman's got a bucket in the back. All those offerings, it goes to a special Christmas offering online. You can give through that fund or you can give directly. Sound good? Everybody? Okay. Father, we thank you for everything that you're speaking to our hearts today. Lord, I pray that we would be um, God, that we wouldn't slink into sadness and despair, but that we would be people of radical joy. Father, may people bump into us and say, that lady has been with Jesus. Like, there's no other way. Been through so many big, difficult things, but she's so joyful. He's been through so many hard things this year, but he's so filled with hope and peace in the life of Jesus. Father, may our community be marked and defined by your joy. May you fill us and fill us and overwhelm us with your joy. And may we see, God, that we are anchored between the joy of being filled with the Spirit, being called sons and daughters of God, being forgiven and set free and cleansed. And Lord, looking forward to a day when you're going to give us a resurrection body and you're going to restore all things and you're going to make all things right in the earth. We have no option but joy. Lord, I ask you today, God, that those of us who are walking in disappointment and disillusionment, Father, that we would surrender those things and put them at your feet. Lord, they're genuine. They're genuine hurts, genuine heartaches. But Father, we don't want them to dominate us. And we don't want them to lead our lives. So Father, I ask you, God, to come in today. And would you heal those places, Lord, where we have married depression we divorce it. Lord, we break our contract, 
our covenant with depression and anxiety as a people. We break the contract and the covenant, the agreement that we had with sadness and despair. In the name of Jesus, that's not our destiny. It's not your inheritance, and it's not yours to claim my depression, my anxiety, my despair. We erase the word my. We call it what it is. It's an affliction from the enemy. Father, I thank you that we are okay recognizing hard things and pain and hurt. But Father, we are a people who have been redefined and dominated by the power and the Spirit of God. That you have set us free and called us new creations. And so Lord, we set our eyes and our hearts and our hope on you. And Father, we just ask you to be with us. And Lord, in the same breath, I just ask you as a community that we would be the kind of people who are spiritually and emotionally mature to hold people's pain and to speak the better word of Jesus over them. Help us, Father. Help us. Father, we, we give you ourselves today. Would you just do that? Just open your hands to him. I give you myself. Fill me. Come and fill me. Fill us with joy unspeakable. Fill us with the joy of the Lord who is our strength. Fill us in your presence as fullness of joy. Father, I thank you that you're calling us in closer to see you as you are. Now fill your people. Father, we give you thanks. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you. May he be gracious to you. May God turn his countenance to you, his face turn toward you and give you peace. I pray that everywhere you step today, there would be little explosions of joy that follow. That you would see his fingers at work in every conversation, in every downcast face, in every conflicted moment. That you would see the finger of God working on your behalf and in the moment to show the face of Jesus. And that you would move past despair into deep anticipation. That you can't help but to pour with positivity and love and longing for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because you're looking for him everywhere and in every situation. And he's with you. He doesn't leave you or forsake you, but his presence goes with you. So be with us today, King Jesus. Amen.